we kicked off a series called the 14ers. How many of you have climbed one? How many of you have already made it a goal this year you're going to try? Oh, look at that. I love it. Good job. I had a couple who wrote me uh, an email. By the way, did you see the pics going up? That was fun. Send them, okay? Make sure you're in them, though. We don't just want scenery. We want people. And it doesn't have to be a 14er. But we have a couple who, uh, first line's like, oh, this is great. Excited about the series. Yeah, me and my husband, we've climbed all of them. So if you've climbed all of them, I want you to write me and tell me that because we have a special little something we want to give you before this is over. Okay? So it'd just be fun to have you come up here on a weekend and uh, present you with something. But anyway, um, that's a lot of work and a lot of time. But keep those coming. The 14ers are the peaks that are 14,000 feet above sea level. And depending on how you measure them, there's either 58 or 53. I shared the rules last weekend. I've gotten some fun feedback from you on that. And uh, I don't really care if you say 58 or 53 or 54 or 52. Colorado has like double anyone else. Even Alaska I think California has like around 20 or 17, and Alaska has around the same, but Colorado has a bunch, and so get out there and enjoy them. At Timberline, we have 11, and what we've done is we've said we want a strategic uh, plan for doing 11 things better at Timberline. We already do all 11, but we just feel like we need to climb this mountain. We've called them 14ers because it's not easy to figure this stuff out, and so Come along with us in the ride this year. We're talking about these 14ers all year, not just the first four weeks. We're simply just presenting the idea these first four weeks. Now today, we're looking at a mountain experience in the Bible. There are six or seven mountain experiences that Jesus talks about in his ministry on the earth. Now if you go to Galilee, which I have been there where this story happens, there really are no mountains. When you're from Colorado, it just does not, it does not work. But maybe if Jesus had said, go climb a 14er, they would not have done it. And so none of this would have happened. But they're basically hills. But they call them mountains. Is that okay? So we're going to identify them as mountains. This is called the Great Commission. If you've been around church, if you've been around the body of Christ, that's a phrase that basically means it's the place in Scripture where Jesus gave the springboard to go from that little 200-mile radius that Jesus had his ministry in into all the nations of the world. So it's a big deal. And open your heart to where God might be sending you. Number one in your outline, will I do what I have been told to do? Will I do what I've been told to do? This becomes very important in the text, and I'm going to be reading from Matthew 28, verse by verse, until we walk through this entire outline. Six things to jot down. You know, I I was thinking about Pastor Mark and what he shared this weekend. He's simply trying to obey God. He's simply trying to do what God is asking him to do. The plan is not laid out yet. He's not sure how all that's going to happen. But I always want to live my life like that as well, to say, God, what is it you want me to do? I will do it. Matthew twenty-eight sixteen says this. Then the eleven disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. So why are they going there? Because he said, go to that mountain. I think they've been there before. 
The mountain is not really known. Scholars, there's no name for the mountain. It's just the mountain of Galilee. And that's where they ended up going. Several things I want you to notice. Why did it say the 11 disciples? Who's missing? Judas. That's fascinating. Because every time I read any accounts, and there are not very many, when it says, and the 11, you know that it's right after this moment where Jesus has already died on the cross, He's resurrected from the dead, and He's come back now in bodily form. Judas has, has betrayed the Lord. I think it's a sad story. I just, I'm gripped by this. And here's, what I, here's the challenge I want to throw out there. Who, who's in your row right now that's going to be depressed this year? Who's sitting behind you or in front? Who's in your world? Who's in your small group that might just need for you to look at them in the eye sometime this year and say, are you okay? I, I wonder if any of the disciples looked back and said, man, I should have said something to Judas. I saw that he was really having a struggle and emotionally didn't seem like himself and something was going on. And then he, remember when he snuck out from all I wish I would have chased him down. We can't always go undo what's been done. I get that. But as a church, let's make it a point to be close enough and connected enough that you can't know everybody, but the people in your world, the people in your groups, I just challenge you to get a little tighter and a little closer so that their name will not be missing the next go-round when the list is made. I love that they were together. I love that Jesus said, you guys come up and meet me on the mountain. To me, when I, when I say, Bonnie, let's go to the mountains, that means camping, going to the lake, uh, it means fishing, it means getting out of the routine, it means being isolated somewhere and having space. That's what going to the mountain. Jesus went to the mountain often, and I think he's looking for a moment to be able to say the big thing that he's about to say, and he wants it to be isolated. He wants it to be an environment where he can really challenge them. That's what the mountain experience is all about. Jesus had something in mind, and he was making sure they were obedient to meet him at the mountain. Number two, how will I manage the tension of faith and doubt? This is a very important part of this message. Because look at what it says in verse 17. There's this tension of faith and yet doubt. Sometimes we don't think those two things can coexist, but they absolutely can. Verse 17. When they saw Jesus, they worshipped Him, but some of them doubted. I personally believe some of them who were worshiping him were doubting. And those who were doubting were worshiping him. Because I've done that. When I'm going through a season of doubt, and I think every one of us has a season of doubt in our life from time to time, you can still have faith. I love how human this moment is where Jesus walks up. Just get, just get your head around this. These are the disciples. What have they seen? They have seen, last week we saw Jesus say, come and follow me. And for three years they've been traveling around. I don't know how many miracles Jesus did. You can count up the ones that are recorded like, you know, he, he brought sight to Bartimaeus, the blind, uh, blind man. There's some specific. But there are many places in the Gospels where it simply says they brought all the sick, deaf, demon-possessed. They brought everyone to him and he healed them all. Well, that could be hundreds and thousands. 
So they have literally seen hundreds of miracles. And yet, there's doubt when they see Jesus in bodily form. How can that be? They've seen the crucifixion. Now they've seen the resurrection. He is alive and among them. They see the physical body of Jesus alive again on the earth. So when I just think of all this, I think we need to understand that it's possible for us to love God and still have these doubts in our life. So don't be afraid. If you're going through a season right now where it's just tough. So I've, I've had seasons when something happened in my life or someone else's life that I loved. And I'm thinking, man, Lord, if I were you, I wouldn't have allowed that. <laughs> Anyone else relate to that? And you don't understand it. And it causes you, your, your faith is questioned. And even if your loyalty is not questioned, there are seasons that you might go through and have to face and say, I'm going to get it. As a matter of fact, the, the takeaway line, and we'll move on, is to me, is that Jesus did not reject those who doubted. He knows everything, but he didn't, he didn't go, all right, some of you are doubting right here. Get out. Go away. If you're not going to trust me after you've seen miracles, after you've seen me die, and I'm risen from the dead, hey, if that's as deep as you go, then I don't need you on my team anymore. There's none of that. As a matter of fact, think of this. There's one disciple whose name is attached to the word doubt. Doubting Thomas. How sad is that? Doubting Thomas. And Jesus doesn't kick him off the team. What does Jesus do? Jesus goes to where he is. And he walks in and surprises him. It's like, hi, doubting Thomas. No, he doesn't say that. He doesn't say that. He says, hey, why don't you put your hand where the nail was? Why don't you feel my side? Because I want you to know it's all good. You're part of this plan. You're on this team. I need you. Let's do something great together. See, when you doubt, you need to just tell it to God. Just tell Him you're doubting. That's what I do. Lord, I don't know about this. I don't understand it. doesn't make sense to me. I'm going to move into tomorrow, but just know I'm frustrated. And the peace of God will come and help you through these times. Number three, let us remember that all authority is given. Now, this in some ways is kind of a side note to the theme and heart of this message. But I think it fits very well for me to talk about this just for a few moments. Jesus is about to tell them something big. You know, go change the world. So he prefaces it in verse 18 by saying this. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. The next thing he's about to say is, go and do all the world. And we'll get to that in a minute. But right now he's establishing the fact that he has the authority to say what he's about to say. Why does he have that authority? Does he say, because I died on the cross and I rose from the dead, I have the authority. And that's not what he says. Though that's part of why he has the authority. He says the authority has been what? Given to me. By who? By the Father. Now, the reason I think that's critical is because sometimes people have authority and I don't understand why God gave them authority. Let me give you an example. In John 19, verses 10 through 11, Jesus is facing the cross. They go to Herod and Jesus is silent. Remember this? Okay? They take him to Pilate and he's being silent and Pilate kind of shakes, Pilate kind of shakes his head. Pontius Pilate 
he's, he's working directly under the emperor, emperor uh, Tiberius. So he's a very powerful man in Judea, the governor of Judea. And so he looks at Jesus and he says, basically, don't you know who I am? Which is such an arrogant statement, isn't it? Don't you know who I am? He says, he says don't you know that I have the authority to release you? And then he says, hey, don't you know that I have the authority to crucify you? And then Jesus says, oh my goodness, okay, I'll talk, I'll talk. Right? No. You know what Jesus says? You can read it for yourself. He says, you would have no authority over me except it has been given to you from above. In other words, you're not the owner, buddy. Now that's powerful because it shows me that I own nothing. And I have no authority that God hasn't given me. Where it messes with me is why God gives authority and empowerment to people on this earth in high places who do not steward it very well, in my opinion. And I'm thinking, God, why would you let a leader like that rise up in that country? Why would, why would you have a dictator? Why would you allow them to have empowerment and authority? All authority is given. And I think God answers me sometimes by saying, because I'm God, and you, you really aren't. <laughs> and you don't see much of the picture yet. See, God has a bigger plan than we know. All authority is given. I don't own the shirt on, on my back. I, I hear people say, well, it's my car. It's paid for. I've got the title. <laughs> it might be legally yours, but the only reason you have that is because God has allowed you to have it to use for His purposes, whatever they are. Oh, these are my kids. Oh, they're not. If you've had the privilege to have a son or a daughter in your life, let me tell you something. You better just steward that and know that God has blessed you to be a steward of putting the principles of godliness in their lives the best you possibly can. We own nothing. And I think it's just a reminder that we have to pay attention to that. Responsibility is very different than ownership. The more you own, the more responsibility and accountability you have. Did someone win the lottery yet? Like, what's it at? It's over a billion? Oh, man. That is... who? The person who wins that, do you feel sorry for them? <laughs> oh, this is funny. I'm praying about buying a ticket. I'm just... I don't know... If you had that kind of money, I don't. You, you talk about accountability and responsibility, and then God whispered in my ear, it's the same with the dollar. You're just as accountable to me with that dollar in your wallet as you are with however much that lottery is. Why? Because it's all God's. I can't pretend to be the owner. And it'd be nice to win that, but I don't buy lottery tickets, so I guess I'm out of luck. But you could buy me one as a gift if you want. I'm, I'm kidding. Don't do that. Number four. I've got to keep moving here. Um, how will we make disciples? How are we going to do that? How are we going to accomplish that as a church? This is one of our 14ers. I introduced it last week. It's something that we believe in, and we're going to do it, and we are going to give ourselves to this. This is the big commission. Verse 19. Therefore, go and make disciples 
of all the nations. When, when he said nations, those 11 woke up to another level. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's water baptism. It woke them up because this entire ministry had been in a little circle. When he said go to all the nations, they're like all the nations in the world. Obviously, they're in a time zone where they don't know a lot exists at that time. But the then known world was still pretty big. And Jesus is saying to these 11, uh, go everywhere on the planet. Really? We can do that? Yeah, you can. It's a huge day. It's, it's, it's powerful. One of our 14ers is to stay missional. And it's to, to let people find Christ uh, in all of our campuses, local communities. We're going to keep engaging. We have a lot of global uh, plans to make a difference. But I'll tell you, we are going to absolutely disciple people this year. By, we're putting teams together right now. Some of you have already gone to Serving Central to say, put my name on that list. We want to take you through an interview process so that you can partner with new believers to train them. Let me tell you a, a story that was shared yesterday morning at our men's prayer breakfast. A guy by the name of Keith Godby was here. And his dad's name is Kenneth Godby. How many of you have ever heard of Kenneth Godby? A great missionary in our fellowship to Nigeria, Africa, had an amazing life. Uh, we supported him a lot of years. Just some powerful stuff there. His wife, Geraldine. She went by Jerry. Well, way back in the 30s, um, they moved to Fort Collins, Ken and Geraldine. And Geraldine went up to see her family and some friends up in Wisconsin and they took her to church. They were not believers. Uh, Geraldine wasn't. But they took her to church and she accepted Christ on that day. She knew this was going to completely change her life. And she thought, I don't know what my husband Ken is going to say about this. Because he was not a person of faith at all. She came back to Fort Collins and said, honey, something big has happened to me. Explained the story. I, I believe in Jesus. And he basically looked at her and said, you know, that's great for you. Go for it. But I, have, I don't want to have anything to do with it. Well, it, she didn't know what to do, so she did something very profound. She pulled out a nickel out of her purse. And she said, can we flip for it? <laughs> he said, what do you mean? And she said, I'm going to flip this nickel, and if it's heads, you agree to go to church with me one time. If it's tails, I won't ever ask you again. He said, sure. Guess what it was? Heads. Heads. He's like, oh, great. Okay, I'll go. In 1936, they walked into a little church called First Assembly of God in Fort Collins, Colorado. If you don't know our history, that was us. R.A. McClure was the pastor. And Kenneth Godby became a Christian. And his life would change forever. And the cool part of this story is that there was a little elderly lady that the church actually called Grandma, Graham Bailey. You guys remember her? Myrna, do you remember her? Some of you would know her. Graham Bailey. Graham Bailey went over to Ken and Jerry and said, I want to take you in and I want to disciple you. I want to teach you how to pray. I want to teach you how to read the Bible. I want to teach you how to discern the voice of God. You guys, that's how you make 
disciples. And Ken and Jerry Godby became amazing missionaries moving Africa, especially Nigeria area. Their lives would never be the same. Why? Because God has a plan. Who's sitting on your row or behind you that needs you to tap on their heart and say, I'll help you if you need help. That's the passion that we have at Timberline to disciple people. Why? Because the outcome is tremendous. Amen? We're going to be about this. Number five. Will I learn to walk in obedience? You can live your whole life and not learn how to walk in obedience. And that's scary. But you can. You can love God and still not be obedient. Because you're not sensitive enough to discern His voice. Jesus says in verse 20, Teach these new disciples. Teach them. To what? Obey all the commands I've given you. Now, can't you just see the disciples going, Oh my goodness, what were all of them? Let's write them down, guys. Quick, what were all Teach everyone to obey these commands. And they're putting their heads together. This, 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 this was command. Good thing they've been writing stuff down. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. These gospels that we have that, that have the words of Jesus. And they reflected back and thought about what he said and how he said it and why he said it. The Holy Spirit anointed them to remember, to write these things down. The only thing I want to say about this point is we're working really hard at Timberline to have teaching in learning environments. Now, here's why that's a big deal. I believe there is a lot of teaching, good teaching, going on in many churches across the world today without a lot of learning taking place. I've heard someone that maybe was profound as a teacher to someone else, but I didn't learn a thing. So what we're talking about around here in all of our campuses is how can we have real learning environments whenever teaching is offered? And that, all of you learn different ways. That's why you're going to see pictures. That's why you're going to see sets like this. It's why you're going to hear story. It's why you're going to get involved with your hands. We're going to do things. We're going to walk around and pray for people. All of these things are experiential ideas that allow you to be in a learning environment and not just listen to a voice. Why? Because learning environments are what we're all about. My question to you before we move to the last point is this. How are you planning to grow in your faith this year? What have you already decided to be intentional about? Because I promise you, if you're not intentional, you're going to be just the same at the end of next year, the end of this year. Sit down with someone that you admire and, and put three things out there. When am I going to have? Make it easy. Maybe you should say, my goal is to read three books that I need to read that will help me grow as a person in faith by the end of the year. I think you can do it. And when you buy the book, just make sure it's little. <laughs> right? Do you have a plan? The last thing that I want to talk about is my favorite part of this message and this story. I know going to all the world is fabulous and it's changed the world, but there's something about this little nugget that touches me emotionally and I can't shake it. All weekend, it's just grabbing me. It's grabbing me. And when I walk away and... I just, I keep thinking about it. Verse 20, the, the second half, 20b, never doubt the Lord's presence. That's the point. Never doubt the Lord's presence. Why did Jesus say what he said here? And be sure of this. You know, you might think that's 
just a throwaway line, but he didn't say that about the Great Commission. He didn't say that about anything else he said this whole time. But when he comes to this, he says, you guys, listen carefully. Lean up a little bit. You know, he's saying, you need to hear this. Be sure of this. Okay, never doubt. You can doubt all this other stuff. It's fine, but don't doubt this. I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Don't doubt that. You know why that touches me? Because Jesus left heaven to become a man. And he felt firsthand what it was like to feel lonely. You know, we don't like to view Jesus as weak or lonely because he's the son of God, son of man combined together. But let me tell you something. He's in the garden of Gethsemane going back in tears to his disciples saying, could you please wake up and pray with me? I'm alone here. I'm about to die. I need some help. In his humanity, he felt that tug of what it was like to be alone, like some of you feel today. And it's a desperate, desperate feeling. And God wants you to know that you are not alone. There's a song that I want to play about 60 seconds of, written by Dan Peake. He was in a band called America back in the 70s. Many of you won't know the name. You won't even know the name of the band, but you'll recognize the song. He says it's called All the Lonely People. And it's a call for lonely people to desperately seek out for God. As a matter of fact, after he, this song became famous, top ten in America, he left the band and he changed the words to don't drink, don't give up until you drink from the silver cup. And it went on to say, to the highway in the sky, and he changed it to give your heart to Jesus Christ. He found the truth. Listen to this, parts of this, a part of this song. How many of you recognize it, to be honest? Yeah, a lot of you, wow. Jesus ended this little moment with the disciples because he wanted to make sure that they knew he would never leave them. They would never be alone. Oh, they might feel alone. You might feel alone. But you're not. But I feel alone. I know. 
but you're not. Because this is a promise from God. And God doesn't lie. So today, I'm going to pray for those of you who feel alone. Because you are not alone. And I want the Spirit of God to quicken you to the point that you can by faith know that the Lord is with you and He will never leave you even to the end of the world. Let's pray together. Lord, thank You for Your mercy and Your grace and the fact that You made this promise to a bunch of guys who desperately needed to know that it was true. They would all go to their deaths knowing you were with them. Put that assurance in our lives. With heads bowed, I know this is personal. You don't have to raise your hand if you don't want to. I get that. Those of you in the South Auditorium, please respond as well. If you need to just raise your hand and say, I'm feeling alone. I don't always feel alone, but I'm in a season right now when I do, and I just want you to pray for me. Just lift it up now. church help agree with me as we just pray Lord these are seasons that come and go these are moments when life can just kind of run off and leave us and it can feel lonely we can be around lots of people and still feel alone so emotionally spiritually physically would you let your spirit quicken our spirit with a reality of truth that says you are truly with us no matter what we're facing no matter what we're going through you are with us we are not alone ever help us to receive it by faith secondly I want to pray for those of you that need to get busy and you need a plan for 2016 and I'm going to ask you to just slip up a hand or shake your head or say yes to say I am going to be more intentional and I'm going to come, I'm going to take the next 30 days to come up with what it is I'm going to do in 2016 to be more intentional about my discipleship and my growth and what God is really calling me to do. And we're going to be bringing some ideas in the next few weeks as well. But if you say, I'm in, slip up a hand or just say yes to God. Lord, I pray over my brothers and sisters that we will absolutely jump on this opportunity, that you will lead us, you will guide us. This will not just be a, a flippant moment of emotion, but we will say, I need to grow in my faith. And give us good things to read. Give us a good plan. Connect us with the right people. Surprise us with ways that this can be fun and exciting in our lives. Help us to run to it. Lastly, if you're here without faith and you don't really believe in God, and maybe you believe in Him, but you're separated from Him and you know it, there's there's a big, deep cavern between you and Him. It could be because of what you have done. It could be because of disbelief. But He's knocking on your heart today. And I would love to lead you in a prayer that just invites Him to be the Lord, to be the center of your life. If you know that's you, would you just kind of look up here at me and wave at me? I just want to pray with you. I won't embarrass you, I promise. But I'd love to just lead you in a prayer. Okay? Yeah, thank you. Put them back down. Thank you. Just just right where you are. Make it an altar right where you are. Just say this, Lord, I'm serious about this today, and I need you. I'm separated from you. I'm asking, and you promised that you would forgive me if I would simply ask. Forgive me for the sins I've committed. 
Help me to walk in a path that honors you. I believe you're the Son of God and you died on that cross and rose from the dead. And I want to be a part of your family. I pledge to you my life today. Because you have created me for more than what I'm living for now. And I trust that. I give you my life and my future in Jesus' name. Lord, encourage us to walk with you and to be all that you've called us to be. In your name.